Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in this marriage, baby, baby. I am one of your incredible hosts, Amber Wallen. And I'm Ben. Welcome to the show, Ben. And welcome to the show, listeners. This is episode 18. We sat down and watched the movie An Oversimplification of Her Beauty by Terrence Nance. It was written by him and directed by him. And uh, we have a lot of thoughts. Today we will discuss The Bane of My Existence, an art house film. A film that could have been a fucking poem or an adolescent journal. We will discuss this puke fest of a movie. Ben, you love this pretentious movie. Talk to me about it, please, because I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I loved this movie. It was too much. And it was what painful you, to watch. Mean, what do you mean by too much? I understand, like, these movies are important, and there's this, like, artistic noir and all of that kind of stuff, but it felt like one big acid trip. It, was, it wasn't a narrative or a story about characters. It was just reflection. It was somebody's diary on screen that that's what I was watching but who is the character in a diary the person writing it yeah but this we learned little to nothing about our actual character I I don't want to read someone's diary and I struggled through this movie if you have seen this movie you know exactly what I'm talking about like it's a very it's a student film it's real psychedelic but ultimately it's hard to watch like every couple of seconds we were like pausing how much time is left? I'm, I'm, I'm dead. I'm, I'm out of gas with this. There is very much a plot and a narrative and characters. There's what was the plot? So the plot is... Yeah, why don't you give the people a background? Because it, if you're listening to this, I dare you, I will pay you $5 to go watch this movie in its whole. And a part of that dare is you can't press pause and see how much time is left. And I bet it will be hard for them to sit through. Go ahead, though. Tell, tell the people the plot, because I, I actually want to know. To be honest, Amber, I actually had to write out the summary because it was so convoluted. (laughs) So So you agree? No, I don't agree with you. I'm saying that it's convoluted and complicated. So I had to write out (laughs) the plot to know what was happening. So this is what I wrote. A struggling art student makes an art film called How Would You Feel to Get a Girl to Fall in Love with Him Even Though the Girl is Already Dating Someone Else. That sounds pretty straightforward. Yeah. Right. But that film is presented as a metaphor about the fracturing uh, love between two people. And it's presented at a theater as a student film. But then that student film, How Would You Feel, is part of the larger film, an oversimplification of her beauty, which is analyzing their friendship and love over the three years. So How Would You Feel is a film made in one year and oversimplification of her beauty includes the film How Would You Feel, but it's layered with animation and reflections that comment on the smaller student film. And the larger plot of it, (laughs) this is sort of a big part, is that the film, How Would You Feel, is presented as metaphor, but it's actually truly about 
the boy and the girl. So when people watch the film, they think it's just this musing on relationships and the fracturing of relationships. But actually, it is almost autobiographical. And so the... A.K.A. a damn snooze fest. You know it was a struggle to get through this film. And I, and I appreciate indie films. I definitely think there's a place for them. I appreciate student films. Like, those stories deserve to be told. But this was just frustrating and a drag and pretentious. And, you know, I hate poetry. So it was just a movie of pure... It was all poetry. Sorry if, you're, if you have not seen it and don't plan to see it based on this review. Uh, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. The entire movie isn't like characters talking back and forth. It's one long narration from, and, and it's all poetry. So it's all slant rhymes and what is it? Iamic pentameter and all that stuff. And I'm, I was just like, if you want to watch someone do spoken word for 85 minutes, this is your movie. Because I can't. I can't. <laughs> Tell me what you... You didn't like the part how he is trying to create this... Uh, Japanese woodwork bed and he has to move the pieces piece by piece in New York City because he doesn't have a car and he's creating this whole bed because he expects this girl Namik to come over and you know cuddle with him in the bed and the and he actually is unable to create the bed because he's a terrible carpenter and that's sort of a reflection on his ability to his inability really to woo this girl. You didn't like that when he let's kept see. on going do, back and forth in the subway? Let's see. Do I enjoy watching someone try to construct a bed, carrying pieces one by one and ultimately failing? No. Because what does that say about my life? What that It says that if I try to put something together, I'll probably fail. I enjoyed it as much as I enjoy a new Ikea piece coming and reading those instructions to put that bed together and failing. That, that was the same effect for me. But the fact that it's sort of a metaphor of his inability to woo the woman he loves, he didn't... And, it, I mean, it's that, too. It's like, is this woman... Are you in love with this woman? You're a young college student who's an artist. You don't know her. I think he knew her for like three weeks and he's like obsessed with her and in love with her. And she's sort of like moved on. So in a lot of ways, I felt like this girl is <laughs> like, she started trying to date you for three weeks, realized that you were filming her life. And then she backed out a little bit. She was like, okay, let me back up because this guy is like this very deep artist, but he's also kind of a stalker and filming all of our interactions. Oh, great. Now he's presenting that those interactions at a student film fest. Like imagine you going to hook up with somebody in college and then they turn that into a student film and later into a bigger, longer, more frustrating film that got put on Amazon Prime. That's definitely a theme, like, what's the <laughs> ethics of storytelling? Can you tell a story about someone without them knowing? Because in some sense, she knows that she's being filmed. Uh, Namik knows that she's being filmed. Mm -hmm. And later, when she watches the first student film, How Would You Feel? Terrence ends up interviewing her and putting that interview about her response to watching this very personal story 
presented as a metaphor, but actually it is a reality of their relationship and the fracturing of their relationship. He interviews her about her reaction and she's like, oh, I felt sort of taken advantage of and she expresses those feelings and then later she ends up saying, I want to have a part of filming my perspective. And there's a little bit of the switching of the narrator because over the whole movie, you have this person narrating and it goes back and forth between a deep voice over narrator that you would hear on a National Geographic channel. Namik ends up getting a little bit of her perspective told throughout the story. And what was that? What was that perspective? Because I missed it between all of the the clouds and the stars and the poetry. I think her... God, I hate poetry. I really wish I could enjoy it. I think her perspective was that she sees this brilliant artist with a fantastic imagination and she's drawn to him to an extent, but she doesn't see him as a love interest. She sees him as a really good friend. And he is, at one point he says, oh, I was friend zoned. But I think that's a little bit too simplistic for her. I think she actually sees him as a legitimate, caring, loving friend who is someone that she wants to keep in her life, but I don't think she wants to have sex with him. What do you think were the three big takeaways of this film? Because even with themes, like for this discussion, we're all over the place because the movie was so all over the place. So I want you to reel it in and give me the three big takeaways, three keys three that keys. I was supposed to walk away from as a person that does not watch shoot a film, not a big like noir artsy slam poetry girl, three keys. Okay, the first key is that artists oftentimes and creators oftentimes confuse their objects and subjects and therefore uh, dehumanize the humans in which they're reflecting on. Perfect example of that is at one point he he's describing, quote, an archetype of a woman that he loves. And he says, the women I keep on falling in love with are brown, maternal, well-read, and well-traveled. And that's a great line because it's really reflective on his inability to actually see them as individual people. That's big part. Because they have to have these markers. Exactly. This is a big theme of it, that straight men objectify women and try to find their muse, you know, and their groundbreaking. Mu- their muse I've never, is going... I've never heard of but, that idea. But I think he's clowning that idea because ultimately... The title is an oversimplification. And so he talks about like seven women that he has dated and they're just objects to him. They're mm-hmm. not really characters, right? There's only two characters to this, Terrence and uh, Namik. And so it, it just sounded, it felt funny to me uh, when he sort of makes a reflection on them because he completely misses an opportunity to create them as a character. And I think he's maybe commenting on art, especially male artists who obsess over a muse. He only sees her as an object for his subject of ruminating on how relationships work because she is one of many 
women that he reflects on. Yes. And uh, he also has this conceit where some humans are drawn as planets and then some humans are satellites going around the planets. Mm-hmm. And one of the trippy animation scenes, which is speculative as fuck. The whole movie is just this speculation. Could you explain to our listeners and me what speculative is? Speculative Because that's what makes it sci-fi or fantasy, right? Right. Okay. Speculative is simply imagining worlds that have not yet been or may be or will never be. So humans aren't planets, but when you use that as a metaphor that humans either have this gravitational pulling, right, as a planet, or... They're satellites where they're just languidly revolving around other planets. So that dichotomy of two people and how they approach relationships, I thought was a really beautiful image. Oh, God. I get frustrated with these movies because I I don't feel smart enough to watch them. And and I know I'm too impatient to watch them. Like that, that part, I'm okay with knowing, right? Like because of the daily scrolling and the daily zooming I do I think I don't have the capacity and the attention span to give the movie what it requires from me as an audience member which then the onus is on the director to meet me halfway and to meet other audience members halfway and I just don't feel like he did that or wanted to do that I think he's like I'm gonna tell this very obscure absurd story if you get it great if you don't great which is fine, but it's just like, this is not going to lead to a lot of people watching this film, which is sad. Like we had to find it first, you know, we had to really dig deep. And then we had to look at some of these reviews that were like, this is very frustrating, but also beautiful and smart and funny, but it's just a mind fuck to get through. I guess it's like, should we still create art if nobody can understand it? Like, of course, but. <laughs> it's definitely a movie you would go watch at the Art Institute on like a Thursday night that's presented only inside the museum. Or it's like one of those films that you walk into an exhibit and you go into the dark room and they have the film playing on the screen and people sit down for five minutes. Five minutes. And they're so confused (laughs) and they've only watched about an hour of paint just dripping films like off the wall or something. Something ridiculous. But then you have to bring your your own self into this work like this film is not a straight narrative so as you watch it you have to basically bring a notebook and your reading glasses and engage with the film it requires you to pay attention and it requires you to think number two uh, the inevitable demise of relationships in any relationship someone is going to be growing up as a giant and shrinking down into in any a mic- relationship in any relationship i think in in his relationship as well and i think it sometimes sort of goes back and forth like one person is shrinking one person is expanding but then it might switch and as that person as the other person shrinks and the other person expands there might be a moment where they really see each other at the same level but then it's unequal again. And there's this constant fluctuating. So to recap, the first key is that... Artists are assholes. Artists are assholes. The second key... That that would include you as well, because you're a creative. Oh, I've I've been an asshole. You know what I'm saying? So that's the first key. Writers, all of them. Because we see... 
I can really relate with that because sometimes I'll see something and I'm just like, ugh, I want to make a joke about this, but this is inappropriate. This, so you do have to tap on that line. Two, I understand the second key in relationships. It'll fluctuate between growing and shrinking in relation to each person. What about the scene where people approach relationships where they actually see another person as a giant? So there's this beautiful image where he is starting to break up with another character as as a metaphor. And he and this character are constantly growing and shrieking in this animation. And it's very creepy and sad but also I know lots of people who literally feel small or they say oh you made me feel small and he ends up shrinking into like nothingness until he completely dis disappears I think if he were to break this whole movie up into smaller parts I would have found the beauty of that scene because it was beautifully animated. It, that story was told in its five-minute pocket. But what you have is, I mean, it's the same thing. Ben knows I was in this show one time about, like, Firefest or whatever. It was, like, a musical parody. And it was it was bad. The show was bad. Even though we were, it was an all-star cast of actors and improvisers. But the way that we wrote the show was... Our director was like, hey, everybody has two hours to write. So go to your corners, write for two hours. We would go write for two hours. We would all come back. And everything that we wrote in our separate corners got put into the show. It didn't matter if it was cohesive. It didn't matter if it was thematic. Everybody, he, I guess, I don't know, he wanted everybody to feel like they were a part of the writing process and the creative process. So there was no real vetting of like, actually, your storyline would... <laughs> doesn't tie in well with my storyline. It was like, nope, let's just put, let's put in sugar and spice and heat and savor. And so you went to the show. It was a hodgepodge of several people's stories. That's what this felt like because all of the animations were powerful and beautiful, but they were all stylistically, you can tell that they were done by different animators. One was even sort of like a claymation versus like sketches. So all of those separate pieces of animation, it sounds like Terrence Nance said, hey, I want nine animators to come and draw this story of my life. Everybody's going in. You no, know, he's the artist for everything. He's the artist for everything. Yeah. <sighs> That's shocking to me. Really? I think you. I think we should go confirm that. Because there's, I mean, the styles of, of animation were so different. Right. There was stop motion and color animation. And claymation. Yeah. So he does claymation. He does. Yeah. Well, we got ourselves like a very artistic Tyler Perry situation here where it's like you need a writer's room and you need a team of collaborators that work together, that self edit, that like, hey, this is a joke on the table. Who can beat it? Like he needs a room or something because it, it just doesn't feel like it works as one big cohesive piece. That scene that you're talking about, beautiful, standalone. But it, I had to like trudge through. I feel like I'm crawling like elbows with like an army guy under a net. I had to trudge through sludge to get to that scene. So it, at that point, it wasn't worth it to me. And what was the third big, you gotta decide because there were so many keys. The third so big takeaway is texting 
is not a way to communicate your love. <laughs> Time travel, especially in today's day and age of texting and Facebook and Twitter and all these social media accounts and this idea that we can actually pause our life, go back a year in review, very similar to what Facebook does when they show up on your timeline. This is what you did a year ago. Mm -hmm. That is a form of time travel. So throughout this film, you as a viewer are paused and there's a literal pause button and a rewind button. And so the movie becomes nonlinear at points because the creation Whoopee. of the film is done three years after the original student film. But I think he is saying something that we get to go back and reflect on our life in a way that humans have not been able to do because the visual media is so accessible now, right? It, it's in our phone, right? We have the new, you made me get the new iPhone <laughs> 37 which has been the bane of my existence because i can do so much on it and i can record every moment of my life but when we go back and spend all the hours reflecting we put a pause on living the here and now life and i think there's a commentary going on there because when this movie is made again social media hasn't taken a hold in the same way that it's done now this was made 10 years ago mm -hmm. and it's make being made right on the cusp of this so i thought that was a beautiful reflection on time travel but when you time travel you're putting a pause on the life that you currently live what do you what did you think about that did you pick up on that mm, i liked the i liked the cinematic there i mean there was so much cinematic effects and things like that I did enjoy the pause and eject only because like in this podcast, when you have those sound bites, they break up and help chunk the material. So I liked it for that purpose because in my brain, I was like, okay, we just paused and ejected. That means that volume was done, but I still had no clue how to budget my time as a viewer and it was very challenging for my attention span. I didn't I didn't take that pause and eject as a social commentary at all. Oh. I because I know that this was him putting many small films together that's like okay, that's the end of that film. Go ahead, put the next one on. It was like, it's 1995 and I'm just watching VHS tapes with my parents. It's like, oh, well, we just watched Alicia's Baptism and now go ahead and put on the the family reunion tape. Okay, okay next one, put on. Because they, they, they were all so different from each other. Okay, like okay. It, Under, it was understood. just small stories. Understood, understood. What about this whole idea, which is a reflection on you because you are often filming our life like every day you're filming yeah. our life and sometimes i don't always know you're filming our life and sometimes you film things and i say and do things and i'm like "Ooh, i don't want that out there mm -hmm. and that's a big theme of this because he is filming terrence is filming namik at times and she didn't know that all this was going to be put out there in that student film as how do you feel and I thought that was pretty great. And then at one point, he interviews her. And during that whole interview, or interview, he's asking her, how did you feel about seeing your life put on display? 
And I thought that was really fantastic. But it made me think of uh, an episode in Family Matters. You've seen Family Matters? Yeah. And so, you know the... the... I'm just shocked that <laughs> my, my year was yeah. shocked that you had. Yes, okay. So, you know the daughter... The daughter Laura what, Winslow. Mm-hmm. She ends up writing a book at one point. <laughs> she writes a book at one point, And all the family thinks that they're characters in the book. <laughs> And so she's like reading the book and she's like, no, it's fiction. And there's a dad in the book. So the description of the dad, uh, it's just really funny and it sort of mirrors him, but it doesn't really mirror the dad. And he gets really mad and the mom gets really mad. And she's like written this book of fiction, but because she's probably put each of her family in there, they all get like really pissed off. And it's just a a really hilarious moment for writers or authors to be reflective of like, who, wow, like, I need to be careful who I put in this book. Like, who's going to read this, you know? I mean, Terrence didn't do any of that. He recorded a girl kind of without her permission and then released a suit of film. But, but (laughs) I think an oversimplification of her beauty is is an apology to that. Well, was it a love letter or an apology? I, I don't know. Okay, let's go into size. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I love the movie, of course. There's not a whole lot of narrative. Yes. So that's a big sigh. Huge sigh. The characters... The, okay, this is something that is a sigh and not just me complaining about it. Terrence is the only character with a voice. So he's trying to teach us this lesson that like, these women aren't just your musings. Like, they have their own ideas and voices and whatever, but the only women in this film that have voices are the ones that, like, he has sat down to interview, which is just not meek. Like, all these other women don't get to have a story. Like, that's why the the theme of your art isn't just objects was didn't land with me because he made them just objects. Right, which is inevitable. That's inevitable as an artist. And you have to confront that and deal with that. I mean, this whole thing is just like one big circle. Yeah. I see where you're going, where he's trying to like find this like dramatic irony. But but that is lost on the viewer because he's trying to teach us too many lessons. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Uh, Maybe it wasn't in his budget to... Right, it's just somebody saying like, well, I stole from you, but I admitted to stealing from you. So that's cool, right? It's like, no. Uh, It's like, well, I did this thing wrong, but I'm aware of it. Like, so do I get a star for being aware? No, not really. Like, how can I treat this as irony if he doesn't, if there's no like justice in it either? Again, that's more of a, a th- theme. Okay. I don't know if that's a, a sigh. I think it's a sigh. I, I think the, I, well, the, it makes the movie was just too dense. Okay, well, that that's my big sigh, that, that you want these women to not be so simplified, but you, you didn't really write them into the story of your reflections in your brain. Like, they were, they, they were objects in your story, and you wanted a gold star for admitting that they were objects. I don't know. Weird. It really begs the question for me if it's ever possible to create a film in which you are not objectifying. Because yeah. as soon as you pull out the lens and there's this 
recurring image of the lens. As soon as you pull out the lens and start filming, the light that hits the individual and goes back into your screen as an image immediately becomes an object. Yeah. Like the actual physical process of filming objectifies whoever you're filming. And that is very... In any case. It, it's very disturbing. So you don't think it it helps like discover and reveal and promote? Because I love watching... I don't know, like wild, wild country and seeing like, oh my gosh, if if this recording device wasn't, if this moment in history was not captured, this could have been lost. Right. And so, so I, I don't look at that as like there's this a trade community. Off. Yeah. There's a trade off, right? Because even in wild, wild country, the documentary about the Rajneesh people, it is still a objectification, right? Okay. We're still watching it. There's a level of like pornographic pleasure to it because you do see a demise of an entire group of people. You do see homeless people find a home, then become homeless again. There and it's done for your pleasure as a viewership. And that's pornographic. You're you are seeing trauma and you're seeing objects go through trauma and you are distanced from that trauma because as soon as you finish watching the film you can go order pizza. And that itself is pornographic. Any, you know, you can do that with any film. Any yeah, film. Schindler's porn. List. Schindler's List. You we, watch Schindler's we List. talk about Schindler's List. You watch Schindler's time. List. You see this terrible, awful happening. It's pornographic. No, no way you can get around it. Because when you're done with Schindler's List, you can go to Liquidity Split and get some of that ice cream. But you can also go to donation pages and GoFundMes. Yeah, but that's... You can't. I'm just saying, like, in in the same way that you can go completely ignore what you just watched, you can also dig deeper into what you just consumed. Yeah, there's something so grotesque when you put GoFundMe next to Holocaust or GoFundMe next to some sort of traumatic happening. I, I don't know. It... Why? There's People a trade off. Funds. There's a trade off. There's a trade off that you are doing this. It's not either or. It's both and type of thing where you are pornographically engaging in this person's trauma. In this case, an oversimplification of her beauty. You're engaging in the trauma of a breakup. You're engaging in the trauma of Namik feeling that she's becoming an object because it's very clear that she feels that she's an object and she expresses that to Terrence in the film, which is sort of a little bit of an equalizer as well. Uh, really enough enough said on, on that because we're still on the, on the thematic issue. <laughs> the repetition of imagine, imagine... <laughs> Yes, what is was, this, Hamilton? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, the repetition of the narrator was a little exhausting. It could have been sh like cut down 30 minutes. I would have loved to have more 30. animation. It was only it an hour been, and a half. It could have been all animation. I'm always worried when, <laughs> when a film is like, 
starring, directed by, written by, voiceovers by, and it's all the same person. I'm like, oh, brother. <laughs> so. One thing I didn't know how to handle, and I thought this could have been actually a good thing. The only relationship that we see successful is a queer relationship. So Terrence is dating someone. Terrence is dating someone and they break up. And the woman he's dating, I don't remember her name. Of course you don't. Because it's very quickly said. She ends up seeing someone else, but she sees a woman. And that sort of could have been a reflection that maybe this is the demise of straight relationships. That the all straight relationships are going to fall apart and be destroyed just because of the inevitable power and balance between male and female body yeah. people that was an idea possibly a theme maybe that's why he included that but he didn't explore it he, didn't he got explore. overwhelmed <laughs> well because the film is his film it's about him he's entirely self-obsessed he's entirely self-obsessed it's all about him yep and he makes I said it that. i was like this is narcissistic and arrogant and i think he i don't know it, it's so That's sad because I want to support a black director, a young black director with new ideas and and new energy. But what, this being his first project, I have no desire to watch anything else that he's put out. And, I, and I've heard great things about Random Acts of Flyness. But watching this made me think like, I don't even want to give it a chance. But he made this sucks. movie. He made this movie when he was like in his twenties. I know. I shouldn't know? be so hard on him, but like it's it's really hard because it because it just didn't land on me. You know what I'm saying? It landed with you. I'm not saying that it doesn't work for anybody. I'm just saying this type of film is not for me. Yeah, it's really for <laughs> men who want to be artists. In. Like, I, I, the first thing I said, I was like, I'm not high enough to watch this movie. <laughs> like, this is for, this is one big acid trip. And, and I know the people who would really enjoy this. I know the people that would argue hours after this movie and say that it was the most incredible thing they ever seen. I'm just not one of those people. It just was not for me. So it's like, Terrence, I wish you all the best. You're, I mean, you're far more successful than I am. I could probably learn something from you, but I just... This ain't my kind of party. <laughs> and on that note, why don't you warp up the show, baby? Again, I have to write the warp up because this movie was really hard to watch. Oh, fuck off. Because you you were the main one saying like, oh, I would watch it again. Oh, I would. So... I would. There are lots of books that I've read that are hard to read and I would read them again because I felt like I missed things. Anyway. No, life is too short. I, I got I got some this reality trash to watch. This is an experimental <laughs> film. It is a film of camp and irony. Don't watch unless you have a fucking notebook with you. Every scene is laced in metaphor, but you better bring the reading glasses and a lot of grace with you. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side. We had two stinkers in a row, folks, but next week you do not want to miss it because episode 19, we sat down to interview award-winning author Nisi Shaw. Nisi Shaw has tons of incredible books, but we sat down and read their book, Talk Like a Man. So be sure to read Talk Like a Man and come check out episode 19. We'll see y'all next time. Bye, y'all.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.